Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. and welcome to this week's episode of Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I have the absolute pleasure of introducing Zach from Leicester who's 18 months sober and he's also the first guy to grace the podcast so thank you so much Zach. Oh you're so welcome. Awesome so let's get to know you a little bit. Please, can you give us a bit of background? Who are you and what are your interests, etc.? Yeah, of course. So I'm uh, Zach from Leicester, <laughs> as you said. Um, on Instagram, I'm Sober Leicester and uh, I basically live in the countryside uh, in a nice little bungalow with my fiance. Um, and we have two house rabbits and some chickens in the back garden. So we've really gone and like dug into that um, sober living, clean living countryside life. And um, yeah, I'm 29. Um, I'm also a bit of a musician. Um, and yeah, I'm always just trying to challenge myself and do things uh, that like frighten me a little bit. Uh, so that's kind of like my hobby, essentially. Yeah. Um, I am so jealous. House rabbits and chickens. You yeah. must get, do you get your eggs from the chickens? We do. Uh, yeah, the idea of the whole thing is amazing, but uh, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, when, yeah. when, when everything's going wrong, it all seems to go wrong at the same time. So you're running after chickens and keeping bunnies indoors and things like that. But yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world now. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, so let's dive straight into your story. Um, can you describe what your life was like with alcohol? Sure. So uh, go back to the start, um, if, you, if that's where you want me to start. Yeah, please. Yeah, I was probably, um, had a bit of a strange childhood, as a lot of people do in these scenarios. I had um, divorced parents from very early on, um, from when I was about two, and uh, they both sort of, uh, I'd be with my mum on weekends, or like every other weekend, I'd be with my dad in the week, and I like to say that I had like um like a mix I had like a, a variety box where my dad did like a lot of the routine stuff a lot of the stability and uh my mum was lots more uh, like into showing me different ways of living like the um she's a musician as well um loved music got me into music and all that side of thing well they both did but she was like the musician and uh so yeah I had like a bit of a strange childhood where um I'd have the routine for most of the week, but then I'd go off on weekends and and uh, probably do things that a lot of kids wouldn't. And sometimes that'd include like parties and, and things like that. So I'd be around like a lot of that kind of um, lifestyle. And um, I was also at school when I was in primary school, I was uh, bullied pretty badly. Um, so I was quite, a, as a child, I was quite um, an overthinker, quite anxious, um, and because of the whole bullying side of things, um, I became a bit of a people pleaser um, because it was my friends that were doing it. So one one minute they would be 
uh, being horrible to me and the next they'd be uh, I'd be trying to get them to be my friends again um, and it just led to me like this weird cycle of um, of like I suppose people pleasing but also turning to a very quiet sensitive child um, and a lot of my time was spent thinking how I could do things without making too much of a fuss um, and then around the age of about eight or nine um, I say I say that I was quite quiet I would also like be a bit of a performer, which is the opposite side of that. But I'd like put it all into like um, being a bit of a showman at a young age. Like uh, there's the story my parents tell of like, um, dancing outside the patio window whilst they're trying to eat dinner to try and get their attention and um, and stuff like that. So yeah, all, all that to say that by the age of about nine years old, I um, got given a guitar, started writing songs and like playing music got into um like like bands and like uh, green day and and things like that um and and started to make my own bands um and that was on my outlet so then just to fast forward a little bit around the age of 12 um i believe there was like a, a little bit of a house party going on i was at my mum's and someone offered me a beer and that was the first time that i remember being offered one, it seemed like quite the normal thing to do because um, everyone was doing it. So I uh, took one. Um, and I probably, that may have been the first time I got drunk. I can't remember, you know, it doesn't take much, does it, when it's your, your first mm. ever one. And um, and so, yeah, that seemed pretty normal to me. So I had my first, first drink then and I must have started to realise at that age that it gave me a bit more confidence um, and it, like, dropped that... Um, Oh, I suppose it put up a mask. It didn't try. It dropped the walls and put up a mask, um, mm-hmm. and that meant that I was, uh, yeah, I, I could talk to people properly. I could uh, probably not always the best best things, but I was um, able to talk to them. And then a little bit later on, carried on doing that more and more frequently as I got older. Then your friends start getting into it, or more accurate, accurately, I probably got my friends into it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, and by about age 14 uh most people were drinking um as most people do in the uk yeah Um, i think that's that's pretty pretty much a cultural problem and um so yeah by by that age i was doing gigs and i was um using alcohol to like take the edge off that sort of liquid confidence and it started off with one or two and I'd be able to uh, you know, sneak a couple of cans in, go up on stage and be like this really confident performer, jumping out into the crowd, all of these things. And um, and so, yeah, it was like this super potion. Uh, and yeah, that carried on um, up until up until my sort of mid to late 20s um, where I'd just use it as my, my relationship was, I would use it to enter social situations as a lot of people do. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's that's the bottom line, really. I think the more I think about it, I think it was just a way for me to escape who yeah. I, I was and, what, and the noise that was going on in my brain as an overthinker. Yeah, and it's it's funny, isn't it? Because actually, when you use it in that way, which I think a lot of people do, to be honest, um, it does a good job. You know, it does quiet quieten the mind, doesn't it? And it, and it do, does give you that boost in confidence so it's like this sort of bad thing that you get into a destructive 
sort of habit or cycle with, but it actually does the job that you need it to do at the time. Yeah, um, solution, but yeah, it does work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what? Um, could you just could you just go through what your sort of normal week or month might look like? Um, say from your mid twenties onwards, you know, how, how what would you sort of drink, and how often might you drink in the yeah. week, so we can get that picture. Yeah, so I'm a, I don't really identify myself as a, an alcoholic per se, more of a grey area drinker. Um, yeah. Um, and I think that's it's, it's important because uh, you know a, a lot of us say that you don't have to be an alcoholic to stop drinking. Um, and for me, it was a case of, you know, I still was able to work a job. I wasn't drinking every day. It was probably mainly at the weekends. Yeah. Um, so Carling was my unfortunate drink of choice for most of the time. But beer, any beer, um, I would absolutely, yeah, um, spirits would make me throw up and black out um, all the time. So I, I wouldn't drink spirits. Um, so it was ma- mainly beer. That was my my first love and uh, carried on being um, yeah, yeah. Especially when I was at university, because uh, I started to calm down a little bit. Um, it was still just as problematic, but I started to calm down in my like sort of mid to late twenties. But my early twenties, I would, um, I just moved into like hall of residence and with all these new people that I um, hadn't met in London. And then I was just, especially for the first like three to four months of uni, I noticed I wasn't drinking like everybody else, um, and I would just drink. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I can't really give you a quantity, but I just drink mm-hmm. to excess. So to the yeah. fact that I was the only one completely drunk and I'd often, I'd, every single time, pretty much I'd forget bits of the night, if not completely mm-hmm. back out. Um, it would often involve arguments with um, exes, um, with friends, um, with everyone, really, with everyone mm-hmm. and everyone. I would um, just turn a bit venomous. Um, uh, so, yeah, but by the time Monday rolled around, I would be, it would always be a battle of do I drink on a Sunday or not? Um, do I have hair of the dog? Like you know, trying to always, always trying to balance it out. Um, and oftentimes I think on Mondays I'd wake up hungover, convinced it was an illness or a bug or something. It must be something else, anything but a hangover. And uh, yeah, have have like the day off work. Um, and then depending on, on the time of my life, I would either have a few during the week or um, if it was just a weekends I'd hang on as much as I could until uh Friday came around and then do it all again and convince myself it'd be fine um yeah so yeah it's definitely definitely more of a weekend thing but it definitely affected me in the week as well yeah yeah oh do you know I think that's so um so common Zach that the way that you described that I I love the way you said, you know, hanging on for the weekend. That that's so true, isn't it? That you just thought, I've just got to get to. For me, it was always Thursday because you know Thursday's the new Friday, uh, or was the new Friday. But um, but that just that feeling of I'm just going to get through the week. You know, just get through the week, and then I can kind of go mad <laughs> on a Friday and a Saturday, and just yeah, go over the top. It's funny isn't it it's just it's just there's such a the deep culture um with that and you know talking about culture I think as well the more I talk to people um even my friends they always say if they've been to university that the drinking culture at university is just 
it's just off the scale. And I remember when, I mean, I'm, you know, a bit, bit older than you, but um, I was going to college in the 90s, late 90s or mid to late 90s. And I remember the pound a pint thing and all the, you know, it's like holiday drinking, but just at 4 p.m. <laughs> after you've finished your, you know, after you've finished your lessons. And it's all about just drinking. How much can you drink? But quizzes are all about booze and prizes are booze. And it's just, yeah, it's quite damaging, isn't it? I do think a lot of people um, say that their drinking goes on to a sort of new level when they get to college. And I think some people can then obviously grow out of that and get into the working world and maybe they can bring that back down to a reasonable level. I couldn't. It just sort of changed. It Maybe it wasn't a pound a pint. It was maybe a little bit more sophisticated than that in my mid-20s. But I do think some people struggle to calm that down after two or three years of yeah. that culture. Um <laughs> Me as well I, I struggled to, to calm it down um I think on your point it's almost like university drinking culture is almost a, a magnifying glass of British drinking culture in general yeah it's just obviously it's marketing isn't it they know that's how to get people in make it cheap make it a competition make it about make it central to everything um yeah yeah it catches a lot of people out it does. And it's so funny as well, like you said there, it's it's such a big window into British binge drinking. Um, but I think as well, whenever I've had communications with people in America, you know, they do have a similar issue with like the summer break or the, I don't, I, just, I don't remember all the terms over there, but, you know, they have the big house parties and the kegs of beer and spring break and all those sort of fraternity things and I'm probably slightly out of my depth here in terms of terms, but you know it does. It's quite interesting that actually it, it is it is not very good in the UK. But it, I'm realizing through my conversations with people in America and actually in Australia um, that that it's kind of just as bad there. It's just maybe a slightly different shape. Um, yeah, agreed, definitely. I think they hide it better in America, from what I can tell. It's like um, over here, it's very much a. We, we can drink in public and yeah. I think it's probably a little bit more hidden over there but it's yeah just I think anywhere there's alcohol it's going to be a problem it's an issue isn't it yeah and I think with America obviously the legal age tends to be 21 whereas here it's 18 and it, it is more difficult now I think to get into um, pubs and bars if you're underage but I know that you know well in the 80s but I know from the 90s and probably the noughties that you know it was quite easy to get into places if you were underage people did just turn a blind eye um and I you know I remember buying bottles and bottles of cheap cider for friends that were sort of around the corner <laughs> when I was 15 I mean it's just I mean yeah they obviously just turned a blind eye because I definitely didn't look 18 although it's probably easy for girls because we can wear makeup but yeah, Definitely still for girls, but I think like they'd lose, they'd lose half their revenue if they didn't let some yes. of that. Yeah, definitely. some of that slide. Yeah. Um, so, when did you recognise it was problematic? What 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 happened that made you get to the point where you thought I need to stop or I'd like to stop? Yeah, it's a very good question, um, and I don't think there really was one particular moment. I think from 
from about, you know, 16, maybe a bit, bit younger, I knew that I was doing it for a particular reason. I knew that it, I knew that it wasn't the, the norm to be drinking as much as I was or for the reasons that I was. Um, but I sort of just thought, eventually this is going to, this is going to sort itself out. Like, I, mm. you know, I thought you get to your mid to late twenties and, and you, you know, you start a family and, or, you know, if that's what you want to do, at this, my idea is that, mm. um, that that happens, that, uh, you, you know, it just magically fix itself and, yeah. and, it, and it didn't. Um, and I think for me, I think, yeah, once I got to a certain age, I realized something needed to happen, whether that was moderation or whether that was, um, you know, just stopping completely. I think I always had this idea that I probably would have to stop completely eventually, but I was just delaying that, at least for the last couple of years of my drinking. I knew that it would happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, like uh, I just mentioned the magic word there, moderation, which so many yes. struggle with. And um, I've, I've never been able to moderate anything, really. I think um, I noticed I've got quite an addictive personality. Um, and whether it's... I mean, I've been addicted to all sorts. I've smoked, I've given that up. Then I got addicted to the smoking cessation stuff like the lozenges. I got addicted to uh, chewing gum. When I gave that up, I've been addicted to fizzy drinks. I, um, I'm all, all under control now, but no matter what, I'm a very all or nothing person. Yeah. Um, and I think so many of us are, especially if you're at this stage and if you're wondering if you do have a problem, it's very rare that moderation can work out, but it's this illusion that, one, a lot of us try to stick with because it's the, the best of both worlds. Um, it's that fairy tale. And two, the people that can moderate say, well, why can't you just moderate? And, mm. and we think, um, and that certainly happened to me. Um, my fiance is uh, one glass of wine every two to three weeks kind of person. Like she's not a big drinker. Um, and when I first, when I first said that I was going to stop, uh, she was exactly the same. Like, why don't you just try moderation? So I've, I've tried it. I can't. I just, I know it's, it, my head doesn't work the same as yours. Yeah. Yeah. And also as well, I think it's always very easy to forget that alcohol is highly addictive. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's designed to make you crave it. It's designed to make you want it. So you're already massively on the back foot trying to moderate something that is highly addictive some people can take it or leave it um and I you know I know people that are like that my my husband is actually like that he he rarely fancies a drink really he has to be in a certain situation maybe with friends maybe at a wedding or something where he'll have a drink um but um he's probably the first person in my life that I've met that is like that. And I think I have pulled people in that have, that had a similar level of drinking and, you know, yeah. and, than I had. Yeah. And, and so I just said, was surrounded by lots of people that drank a lot. And I, I'm not sure we were all having the conversations of like, Oh, I don't want to drink too much tonight. And I hope I don't go too far. And no, I don't really want to drink. It's a Wednesday. I'm going to try and wait. You know, they were the, those, those are the conversations of trying to moderate. And I think some people just live 
with that they're okay with that for me I that became exhausting (laughs) I just found that chatter in my head about the when and how and why and I, I it just got too much so for you then what on the day that you decided to stop uh why did you make that decision what what yeah. pushed you over the edge yeah sorry I realized I didn't actually answer the uh, no it's fine yeah. <laughs> it's um, all interesting yeah so I guess leading up to it um I was noticing I was like falling out with a lot more friends I was pushing more people away um and yeah my, my drinking had just become to the point where I, I probably had like 80% negative versus 20% positive um mm. and I'd come a long way I mean I'd gone from you know blackout drinking constantly and that wasn't the point that I'd realized it was um it was when I'd calmed it down and when I had time to sort of breathe and look at it from the outside um and I did I mean I did a uh, sober October one year whilst I was at university so that's my first taste of sobriety um hated it everyone yeah. else was drinking and, and this was around oh, I don't know early 2010s so uh the only non-alcoholic option really was Beck's Blue um and I think they've changed the formula since because it's definitely nicer now but um so I was sitting there with that I remember one night um every, all my friends all my uni friends were there at the pub and um they all had these big pictures of cocktails and I had my Beck's Blue and uh, I got one of the pictures spilled all over me and it just felt like this massive slap in the face from the universe. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I hated it when I did it that time, but by the end of it, I could see the benefits, but then went straight back to drinking. Um, as soon as it was midnight, it was Halloween, and uh, as soon as it turned to midnight, I was down in pints on camera. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, woo! And... Um, <laughs> So yeah, that was my first taste. Um, then the second time was nearly the last time, which was October of 2020 to December of 2020. During lockdown, I did a challenge called um, 75 Heart, which is this program where for 75 days you don't drink alcohol, you work out for 45 minutes twice a day, one, one inside, one outside. You read 10 pages of a self-help book. Um, you follow a, you, you put, choose your own diet, but you follow like a nutrition plan. So like you're not eating junk food all the wow. time. You drink a gallon of water. Um, like I said, I like to challenge myself. Um, yeah. And so I did this 75 days and it was enough time because it's about two and a half months. It was enough time for me to really reap the benefits of uh, not drinking. And it was probably the toughest part of it for me was, um, not drinking and mm. once I finished it it was just before Christmas about five days before Christmas and I went again straight back into the drinking a bit apprehensive about it but straight back in and uh, I didn't have a good time with it more arguments um you know family arguments and and things like that um and so I woke up after new year on January the 2nd and that was the last time I drank, um, was January the 1st. So, yeah, the day after, probably hair of the dog to um, get over the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day hangover. Yeah. Uh, and I stopped. And it wasn't really a conscious decision at that point. I just stopped because I didn't want any more drama. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to have, like, a bit of a calm period, and I just kept going. Wow. And so, 
so yeah, for me, it was it was a conscious decision. I knew it had to happen, but it wasn't until probably three months into it where I said, right, I really am never drinking again. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, in a way, it was, it was a conscious decision. It just took me a while to make the choice that it wasn't a prolonged break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really fascinating. I, I, I think it is really interesting how people get there. I was like you, I had two bouts of sobriety, stretched out over a, further, a bigger time period, um, over about a decade. But I was the same as you. I think I always knew deep down that at some point this has got to go. If I, if I want to be really happy, it's got to go. And I just sort of instinctively knew that. But it is easy, isn't it, to put it off? It is quite frightening, obviously, going into something as big as, well, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I was the same as you. I, I decided I just won't drink again. Some people break it down into 30 days or a day at a time and everybody's journey is valid and different and that's totally fine. But for me, it was very much, I will never drink again. Yeah. Because I knew I couldn't drink. I just knew it. I knew that I couldn't moderate. And, and that, I think, when for me, when I accepted that, that was the key that unlocked the door for me. Yeah, um, I think for me as well, I tried literally everything but giving up drinking first to see if yes. it was knowing full well what the real problem was, but um, yeah. trying everything else first. Yeah. So you, like you just said you have to one day just accept that that's what it is and it needs to go. Yeah, I think that, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, almost exhausting every avenue. Yeah. <laughs> Just because there's that tiny bit of hope, isn't there, when you're, when you're still in the drinking, that you can just find that magic pill or that book that will just, I don't know, that will make moderation click. <laughs> and it's, like, it's quite devastating when you just suddenly realise that doesn't exist and... That's why I'm the same as you, Zach. I don't believe that moderate. If you're someone that's trying to achieve moderation, for me, I think you can already tell you won't moderate exactly. because people that don't have a problematic relationship with alcohol don't need to consider moderation. This yeah. is for me that black and white. If you if you end up playing mind games with yourself to try and to try and compromise, I think if you're at that point, probably need to just go for it and, and yeah. stop. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's probably really reassuring for people listening to this that it can be a bit stop-start to get there. And that's something I try to um, reassure people when they come into my DMs and they say, oh, you know, I really need to do this. How did you do it? I, I feel like I'm failing all the time. I always try to reassure people that, look, you know, this might just be part of your journey. You just, you know, perhaps you need to just stick your toe in a few times to do exactly what you've just described so beautifully, which is to really get to the point where you know that you can convince yourself that moderation won't work. And that can take a little bit of time because we're always searching for the easy route, right? As humans, we want the easy path, which is to carry on drinking and just manage to manage it somehow. <laughs> but I think you're right. Like you have to, it's, it's better to make mistakes and get, get back on and, and go again yeah. on the mistakes than it is to, you know, even even when it's perfect and you have a perfect streak and you and you don't, you you still there's some lessons that you don't learn unless you fail. I think a few I say fail, but when when you um, have those blips, 
Mm. Not a failure. It's it's learning. As long as you learn from those mistakes and and get back up and go again, then yeah, the, I think to everything. I think that's yeah. So that that's such a lovely way of looking at it. I think you're right. I think you could apply that to anything in life, really. Um, just trying to build that resilience early on in the process that you know you're not a massive failure because you've got to two weeks and then caved. Um, it can be so normal to do that. I, I'm yet to meet somebody that just, you know, woke up and said, right, I'll never drink again, and then just never drank again. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm sure it happens, but I do think that's the minority. I think the majority is you need to go through that explorative phase. It's a massive um, and society is, is against you whilst you're doing yes. that. Yeah, of course it's hard. Yeah, uh, such a great point. Um, I, I, it kind of annoys me, to be honest, when I see all of the culture, um, the culture that I completely used to buy into. So it's not coming from a place of judgment. I just, I get annoyed that big alcohol is allowed to get away with what it still continues to get away with. And, you know, I genuinely hope that it becomes more balanced moving forward and there are more there's more information around the risks so that people can make more of a balanced choice whether to drink or not. And so, yeah, anyway, I could spend an hour talking about that. I've got to get off my high horse there. So um, how did you get sober? So, I mean, one thing I think we've just identified is that you, it sounds like you'd really unlocked that mindset that, well, okay, I've got to do it now. <laughs> you know, I know it's sort of maybe now or never type thing. Uh, and I, that goes such a long way, doesn't it, when you're in the right frame of mind. But what else did you do um, when you got sober? Yeah, I mean, one thing I made the conscious decision was that this was it. I'm not going to, not going to go back. There's no compromise. There's nothing. It's just, this is it. Um, and so I was lucky, really, because I think we went back into lockdown in the UK after, after that Christmas. So the first few months, I didn't really have to do much socially. And I think that really helped. Um, mm. And I just followed all the Instagram pages, as we all do. It's like a rite of passage. Um, and, and yeah, so I just tried to, um, I think, focus on, on all the good stuff, like moving my body um, and just, I suppose, yeah, in, in the, that's the macro, but um, like you know, looking at it from a wider, wider lens, but on the day-to-day, I did take it a day at a time and I did just when I, when everyone else was drinking for a start, it was hard. It was tough. And um, even if it was just like zoom events, if you, if you remember those where everyone was yeah. doing zooms, yes. uh, even just doing that, um, if everyone else had a you know a glass of wine or a beer, anything like that, I still felt left out. Um, mm. That was tough, but I just remembered why I was doing it. And um, honestly, you have to think of the benefits like it helped save my relationship I can't say for sure that we would have split up but it's certainly a lot better since we since I did stop drinking uh, less arguments I'm more attentive and so I focused on how good it was for that I focused on I think as well and I, this is probably a bit unconventional and I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to everyone but I sort of um wanted to prove everyone wrong even if they, even if they didn't really think that I couldn't do it in my head I sort of built this they that thought I couldn't 
couldn't do it. And I just wanted to prove them wrong. And I think sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes it's a bit um, a bit worse than it is, like more of a con than it is a pro. But all of those things together was sort of my toolkit. Um, uh, yeah, so there wasn't any one specific thing. It was lots of different things. And once you've got that toolkit, mm-hmm. you, can, um, you can pick out what you need on the day. Yeah. Um, it's. I was listening to a podcast, actually, when I uh, had dropped the kids off this morning. It was one of the This Naked Mind podcasts, which is so brilliant. And Annie Grace was answering a question um, to do with how do you stay sober once this sort of, I don't know what the word was, but, you know, once all the shine wears off, if you, if you know what I mean, in the beginning. Um, and it's linking to what you were saying there about remembering the whys she had a really good tip that you would write out the benefit what are the benefits of drinking alcohol what are the benefits of being sober and then write a list of all the whys that you're stopping drinking and keeping that those lists you know to hand or in a book somewhere and when you have those uh, especially early wobbles but I mean to be honest you can still have a wobble a year in um so it's not just confined to the early period but just referring back to those whys and I think that's such a great um bit of advice really it's just remembering I I really like that play it forwards as well you know when you're having a sort of craving and you want to drink just how does that night look (laughs) if you pick up that drink what does what happens for me it goes completely wrong um but that's just another way of doing it you're the way that you're mentioning is you know what remembering your whys I think that's really good yeah it's so important for any change yeah absolutely and did you um did you read uh, you know the quick lit stuff in the beginning did you listen to podcasts yeah I didn't even realize that quit lit was a thing until no (laughs) I didn't (laughs) no um for me a lot of I, I actually found quite a bit of um like help looking at the celebrities which were sober um realizing like some of these you know heartthrob leading men um if that's the way you describe them i don't know (laughs) Um, like brad pitt and bradley cooper cooper yeah i'm sure yeah sure you know more than i do but um and and also my musical heroes all all had similar kind of thing and i realized well if you know they've they've managed to um create a career past that and and be the for me the men that um that they have become afterwards then like i can definitely do it i don't have to go to big celebrity events i don't have paparazzi following me around all the time um and yeah i realized that you know it wasn't just um staying at home in a darkened room and shaking in a corner trying not to drink uh, there's so much more and you can flourish yeah uh, so yeah for me i think probably probably listened to a couple of podcasts i couldn't name them off the top of my head but um yeah mainly it was looking at instagram and seeing other people other other people flourishing and living their lives and yeah that was a big help oh, i love that uh, i just instagram has really become the tool of sobriety I think I've I've been on it for three years now and it's changed massively even in those three years the support you get is just incredible and you feel connected to people that are essentially strangers (laughs) and it could be like the other side of the world 
but you have this thing in common you've been through this journey and there is this mutual respect I think um, and this sort of just knowing what someone's been through and appreciation and when somebody comes you know and says oh yeah if they're struggling or what it's just it's just such a nice supportive community isn't it there's a lot going on on the sober insta um i think it's i think it's great um so what was the hardest bit for you getting sober social events um as as previously mentioned like one of the reasons that i started drinking in the first place was to put that mask on and and to not overthink about uh talking to people and i think i was very shy very quiet um and I'm massively introverted anyway. It doesn't mean I don't go out. It just means uh, I recharge on my own when I'm on my own or with my partner. Um, so for me, it was going to events. A lot of my family love a drink. So going to any family occasion, I don't mind it, but it was sort of, I felt a bit like a, an alien mm. or I suppose alienated. Um, there on my own with my non-alcoholic drink and um yeah I think I still still struggle a little bit with that um but I'd much rather be shy sober um than drunk and chatting someone ear off it about something I know nothing about and regretting it the next day yeah for me that was by far the worst part was um being around other people drinking in social situations and trying to navigate those sober yes yeah. And I think, like you said as well, with um, lockdown, we, and I was sober in lockdown, and you just didn't have to face that. You know, just didn't really have to face a lot of that. And it's sort of, it's interesting when we came out of the third lockdown, that's when my company started meeting up again. So there was a really big period during COVID where I didn't see my colleagues or we didn't meet in London every month like we we were used to doing. And when I was nearly three years sober, so earlier this year, I started meeting up in London once a month with my colleagues to do a meeting and we we always socialise afterwards. And it's easy when you're three years in to take for granted that it's all fine. You know, you've done three years. You've been so, you know, you're not going to have those cravings. And it wasn't that I had a craving, but I, in that situation where I was out in a wine bar in London for the first time since pre-COVID and everybody was drinking, I just felt so alienated as well. And I, I felt awkward for, for five or 10 minutes. That's the thing. It's actually not that long. But I certainly recognise that wave of mild anxiety. Oh, I feel really left out. Oh, is anyone going to say anything? And and of course they do. Are you still doing that no drinking thing then? Oh, you know, how do you have fun and all that stuff? And And then obviously I was in this wine bar in London and they literally only served wine and water. So there were no soft drink options, which I found really shocking. I was quite surprised by that. And so I just drank water all night and I got over it, but it was, yeah, that feeling was still there of feeling a bit out of place, a bit not quite connected as I was. And it's just kind of a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right, though. It's definitely the first five to ten minutes is always the worst. Um, So you will get asked, 
Are you still still doing that not drinking thing? Yeah, got, that thing. <laughs> it was just a temporary health kick type thing, um, yeah. which is good, I suppose, because they, they must not have realised I had like an issue with it. Yeah, which is nice. Um, totally not correct though, and um, yeah, it is. I think if, if the non-alcoholic options are making it a lot easier, non-alcoholic um, like no and low drinks like beers and wines mm. definitely makes it easier to fit in yeah. and it's like a placebo effect yeah yeah absolutely and to be honest actually I used um alcohol-free beers and things in the beginning um but I did get to a point where I actually started to prefer a lemonade or a lime and soda or, or a diet coke um and I, yeah, I was more than happy in this wine bar that I was in. I was sort of, I was actually looking forward to a really cold <laughs> Diet Coke because it was a, it was a warm day in London. Um, but yeah, they didn't have anything. And so I just kind of felt a little bit, I was a bit miffed about that. I was a bit annoyed that they were so obviously only catering for drinkers. Um, five years ago, that wouldn't have bothered me. I would have just been yeah 100 into that experience and would have been drinking the wine and loving life but as a non-drinker I, I I do yeah I do appreciate when there are non-alcoholic drinks available and, and nice options and I do think that that is becoming a trend now and that's really nice to see that there is more and more alternatives popping yeah. up on the market Heineken Zero is sponsoring massive sport events now rather than their alcoholic versions yeah happening yes yeah although I don't know if they're allowed to sponsor um I'm not sure maybe before 9 p.m I'm not sure if they're allowed to sponsor anyway so it's kind of a bit of a weird one that because it's a bit like it's brilliant that they have to sponsor zero percent in fact that's fantastic and what a big change from when we were watching sport when we were young and impressionable and blah blah but equally they're still getting their brand out there (laughs) So it's quite clever. It's kind of a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? <laughs> You're evil, I suppose. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what would you say has been the biggest gain for you in sobriety? Biggest gain? Oh, just one. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, I suppose I never have to, I never, yeah, I never have to regret anything. I, I, I'm always present when I want to be. I remember everything. I never wake up thinking, oh, what did I say last night? And having to have the night recounted to me whilst wincing and cringing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm probably the annoying one that's like, oh, don't you remember saying this last night? No, <laughs> rather than uh, the other way around. And uh, I try not to be, of course, because yeah. I'm in that situation. Um, so, yeah, just just being present all the time I mean of course there are times where I wish I could escape for a little bit but you have to find healthier ways of doing that and um yeah if there's just one it's it's that it's waking up having energy and just it's a gift isn't it it's such mm-hmm. a such a gift to wake up on a Sunday morning the sun's shining you can just get straight outside you don't have to hide behind curtains and like wish the day away it's amazing yeah I know there is a real thing isn't there with that super sober Sunday that you know they do they are just 
the best days of the week, aren't they, when you don't drink? It's, yeah, it's um, it's incredible. And every day is like that, isn't it? I mean, some days you might not feel great, but you still feel better than you would with a massive hangover. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yuck. Um, you mentioned there about, um, you know, sometimes having those moments where you would just like to escape your own mind or switch off. And, you know, which is, that's life, isn't it? Like that, you know, life doesn't just magically become perfect when you stop drinking. You just become better at managing, I think, the ups and downs. But what would you say is, you said you said that, you, you know, you do different things now. What, just out of interest, what would one of those things be? Yeah, of course. Um, first off, disclaimer, I say that, but I still struggle with, with, uh, with that. I'm sort of like married to my job and like because I work from home I'm always on in that way as well always always on try not to be um and I wish I could say you know just meditation and things like that but honestly for me exercise is a good one um that that's probably my main one at the moment um it doesn't necessarily just completely wipe my mind but if you're focusing on something else that you have to like concentrate on or if it's like you needed to find that inner strength to, to carry on then um you can't really be focused on much else yeah so, yeah for me exercise is the big one but it's a work in progress yes Definitely. yeah everyone's switched on all the time now aren't they with mm. technology and working from home and, and uh, whatever it is yeah it's so much harder to switch off now than it used to be yeah yeah you, you're just so much more accessible aren't you <laughs> round the clock really and I know I have a really bad habit. I'm on my phone way too much. Um, and especially with the sober Insta page, I'm just, I have to really, really try to put my phone down. Um, but it, it's hard, isn't it? It is difficult. But that, yeah, I, th- I think exercise is a fantastic one. Um, or, you know, just doing the things that you like. And that's a nice part of getting sober, I think, is that you start to properly understand what things you actually like doing rather than just going out and getting wrecked and doing it's stuff yeah just yeah or again it's it's great a bit scary sometimes maybe for people but yeah you can you can find out what you love and you can pour yourself into it and just yeah. put it down for a bit and please uh yeah pour yourself into whatever it is you enjoy doing yeah 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 that's it Oh, so um, almost at the end, um, what are your top three tips on either getting or staying sober? Top three. Um, number one is definitely take it slowly. Um, I think you need to set yourself up to succeed. And what I mean by that is I see quite often, I mean, I kind of go into this in, a, in my third tip, but um, yeah, like, Instagram isn't reality and you can see a lot of people further on in the journey. They're going out all the time. They're thriving. And um, like you, you shouldn't be throwing yourself in straight away. Take it slowly. Have some weekends spent in. Don't try going out straight away. Forgive yourself. You're going to mess up or you're going to have thoughts of, of going back to drinking. Take it slowly because that's the only way that you're going to make this last hopefully forever. Um, so yeah, don't don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Just um, I suppose that yes, yeah, pretty much 
that the tip is just take it slowly. Um, yeah, so that's number one. Yeah. Uh, number two is, of course, connect with other people. And uh, what better way than sober Instagram? Uh, <laughs> other social media platforms are available. Um, but for me, I find Instagram's the best one. Um, I'm yet to meet up with anyone from Instagram. That's uh, I'm going to a Midlands meetup thing later this month and then doing a few others really want to go on the uh no booze cruise at some point as well and, and travel down to london a bit more um but yeah connecting with people even if it's just um just through dms and things like that is so valuable because you realize you're not in it alone there are so many other people and so many other people whose dms are always open and, mm. and i've just found that yeah the community is I think everyone says this, but genuinely it's so supportive and uh, find your tribe. That's why. Because yeah. it might be it might be different to the friends you have you know, in real life that you might may have been drinking with um, previously, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You want people that are on the same kind of journey as you are. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, have that understanding of of what you're going through. Whenever I talk to somebody um, at whatever sort of stage they're in, I just I, I I know what that place is. I know it, and I've and I've I've felt it, and I can still remember it. And therefore, I can be a support to people early on. And I think that's um, that's yeah, that's such lovely, such a that's such, such important and lovely advice. Yeah, yes, it's it's rewarding as as someone who gets asked, I'm sure you get asked for advice all the time, but I get it every now and then. And it's so rewarding being able to help other people that are uh, earlier in their journey um, or even later in their journey, but are struggling with something and they need a bit of reassurance. So yeah, please never be afraid to reach out to people because oftentimes if they're on there and they're sharing that they're sober, then they're going to be absolutely welcome to sharing advice and support with you. Um, yeah in the early stages um my third tip because I kind of combined my one and one of three there um my third tip would be don't be afraid of the fact that you're probably gonna be a bit like a snake and you're gonna have to shed your skin you are gonna have to move away from the life that you were living to you know if you want to change who you are you, you can't just do the same exact things and expect and expect the uh, different results um and you don't have to like just bin off all your friends um depends on the friends that obviously yeah. have to evaluate that relationship um or your family um and you know sometimes that's not always possible anyway even if they are a bit problematic um but you you are going to have to change bits of who you are and find who you are. Um, and that's not always a bad thing. And sometimes that's where the most rewarding aspects of sobriety come from. It's finding who you are again. Don't resist change. It's okay to, um, to adapt and, and become a different person and you will find the genuine you. And that is the most rewarding thing in the world. And that's, I think, probably some people spend their entire lives trying to find who they really are and taking out alcohol is like a major cheat code for that. So yeah, just don't be, don't worry that you're changing. It's absolutely fine. 
Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, yeah, I think as humans, we really fear change a lot of the time, don't we? But you're so right. Some of the most brilliant and rewarding aspects come from growing into that person, that authentic you that you were always meant to be. That I do think some people, you know, sadly, they, 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 miss, they miss that bus in their life. And aren't we lucky that we stopped and got on the bus? <laughs> yeah, we are, we're the lucky ones. We really yeah, are. absolutely. Um, so if you're open to sharing your journey, how can people find you? Oh, you said this, didn't you? Sober Lester. So that's yeah. S-O-B-E-R-L-E-S-T-A? Mm, not quite, nearly. Oh. Yeah, so... Um, my own fault for making it I wanted to make it a little bit unique and quirky <laughs> moving about um yeah it's a uh, at sober s-o-b-e-r and Lester is l-e-s-t-r so, oh right uh, yeah although yeah. One, as uh, as you know in Leicester we say Leicester so Leicester yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lester. and um the reason that I I mean I used to just follow everyone on my personal account um and I decided to make a page in about March of this year after a year. I didn't feel that I was qualified until, which is completely wrong, by the way, until a year after sobriety to start talking to people about it. Completely not the case. You can make a sober Instagram from day one if you really want to. Um, but I decided to make my own uh, dedicated sober page um first of all it was to connect with other people from Leicester who might be sober but it sort of evolved it was just going to be about sharing um what there is to do around Leicester for for sober people and I really have gone in the direction of it being more of a about me um but really there are so I think men are severely underrepresented in the um in the sober space and I think that's um because they struggle to share, they struggle to be vulnerable. And it's sort of the culture for men drinking is that it's just what you do. Mm. Of course it is for everyone, but um, yeah, I noticed like lad culture is so like in, um, it's, it's the mainstream for men. Mm. Uh, and I'm very much not that. And I just wanted to show that there is another way and I want to connect with, uh, I think still have more, women follow me than men just I think it's probably like a 60-40 split I was interested so I looked at it the other day um but honestly yeah I want to uh talk to everyone but especially men and especially men in their 20s um younger yeah. men, men in their 20s and 30s who feel so pressured to drink that one you don't have to be an alcoholic you don't have to hit rock bottom to stop yeah uh, it, it's the main thing and two like if you are a grey area drinker and you need someone to talk to or you need like something to relate to, that's why I set up the page in the way that I have. And uh, yeah, so that's that's my goal really, to connect with everyone, but particularly men in their 20s and 30s who are looking to stop. Um, and yeah, hopefully I can help with that. I share my journey. I've been a bit, um, I've been uh, doing 75 hard again recently, which is the challenge I mentioned at the start. Um, so it's been quite fitness based but I try and combine my sobriety with other things um, and yeah we'll be posting more about my uh, sobriety day to day 
from now on again so yeah hopefully uh if you if that sounds interesting to you come and follow me and um my dms as well are always open um uh, and yeah it's, it's fun so yeah really really hope that um uh, other people can relate to this oh they definitely will Zach. and you're you're so relatable and you're so open uh it's really refreshing and yeah, I think that that's amazing that you've got that 60-40 split. I, I've checked out my um, audience insights as well, and I think mine's more 80% women, 20% men. But whenever a, um, a, a guy messages me or um, puts something on one of my posts, I always feel really happy because I'm like you. I'm, all, I'm aware that I think women obviously find it a little bit easier to share and be vulnerable um, and that it's perhaps not the norm yet, let's say, for guys to be open about this sort of stuff. So I think you're brilliant. You're flying the flag uh, for men. You're speaking out. You're being honest. And, um, yeah, we need more Zacks in the world. So, yeah, I, I will stay connected anyway. Uh, I'd love to do that booze cruise, uh, no booze cruise as well one day. So we, you never know, we might get to meet up face to face. But um, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for you coming on. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for you bringing a different perspective, that male voice to, to my show. It's really special for me to have you on. Um, and I really hope you get lots of new people connecting with you, especially guys. So thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Catch up with you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.